What's your name? Andrew Naiman, sir. What year are you? I'm a uh, first year. You know who I am? Yes, sir. So you know I'm looking for players? Yes, sir. Then why did you stop playing? Did I ask you to start playing again? Uh, sorry, I asked I why you stopped playing, and your version of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey. It's kind of a hard movie to watch, isn't it? Because um, the movie just kind of makes you angry inside. <laughs> uh, and so today we really want to step into this tension. We want to step into this conversation. Um, so we're, in the, we're sort of at the tail end of this series where we're going through the seven deadly sins. Uh, and if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. Uh, I'm the interim pastor here at Mosaic. And, and we are a community that we love to be known by grace. Not grace and you have to do this, grace and you have to do that, but grace, period. Right? So then how do we have a conversation about wrath? And it's been a long time since I've used the whiteboard, too, isn't it? It's fun to be back. Give it up for the whiteboard. Woo! <laughs> And if you haven't seen my handwriting before, it's terrible, so I will try my best. But how do we, how do we sort of live in this tension of grace and wrath? Uh, and how, do, how can those two things actually coexist in any way, shape, or form? Uh, it doesn't always totally make sense, uh, but that's, that's one of those conversations I want to step in today. But the biggest thing that we need to ask ourselves today about wrath, about, ring, about anger, is it's this tension between righteous anger and then unrighteous anger. Right? Because think about it. Like we watch a movie like Whiplash and we think that is unrighteous anger. We look at that teacher and we say, this guy is the worst. Like, what is he doing to people? How is he, how is he manipulating them to, to just, like, it, it's one of those fallacies about leadership. Uh, one of those fallacies of leadership is that you have to instill fear in people in order to get them to respect you. In order to manage people, you just, you make them scare you, and then they're easier to control, they're easier to manage. Right? And, and I think if you ask the teacher, especially that scene at the end of the movie, is this tension where he says, no one understood what I was trying to do. Like, I was trying to make the next Charlie Parker, but I never found the next Charlie Parker. Like, that's what I was trying to do. So in our mind, we look at that and we say, that's unrighteous anger. He would look at that and say, that's righteous anger. And so we kind of have to live a little bit in this tension today. Uh, But before we get too, too lost and ahead of ourselves. I, I want to do something real quick. Does anyone have a $20 bill I can borrow? Can I borrow a $20 bill? Yeah. Yes. Can you come bring it up to me? Thank you so much, Emmett. All right, you can go have a seat. I'm going to borrow this $20 bill, okay? And uh, since we're talking about anger today, I actually lied, right? <laughs> 
So I'm, I'm going to keep this $20 bill. Okay? I'm going to keep this $20 bill, but I'm going to do something good with it. If you're, and, and I'm not going to ask your permission. So I'm going to do something good with it as I'm going to, I'm going to devote this $20 bill to God. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to Jesus. Right? Because this money doesn't have control over me, and it obviously no longer has control over you either. <laughs> right? Because this, I'm, I'm taking this. Because it belongs to God. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, God, this, this money no longer controls me. This money no longer has a hold over my life. And so, yeah, I'm going to give it to you, God. What'd you say? Untrusting? Yeah, how else? Shocked? Yeah, why? What, what else? What else are you feeling? Pyromania. I do like fire. <laughs> what else? Anything else? That's right. That's a, <laughs> that's a good one. That's why I'm the interim pastor and not the lead pastor. <laughs> that's good, man. We'll end on that note. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so I, I think uh, what we're experiencing now and what you're feeling is a story that happened uh, in the Bible. And Emmett, I'm not going to see your $20, dude. So here's, some 20, here's $20 back. Right? I'm not that big of a jerk. Um, but I did want you to experience that little bit of frustration, that little bit of fear, that little bit of anger that you felt inside, because that is unjust. Right? That, that, that is not a good thing. That's an injustice that happened just now that you guys saw, that I would t- ask to borrow it. I lied, but instead I'm going to use it for spiritual purposes. Like, that's not okay. It's not okay. But there's this story, like, even as you and the audience are sitting there, because you think to yourselves, I know I would, if I was sitting in your seat, I would say, we could have done something with that money. Like, why just burn $20? Because even now you're sitting there thinking, well, there's still $20 that got burned. We could have done something with that money. Uh, Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I could have really used $20 because my bank account has less than $20 in it. Right? And so for you, you're still thinking that's an injustice. Well, there's a story that happens in the scriptures, and it's a story that has always stuck with me. And I want to turn to it today. Uh, it's found in the book of uh, Mark in chapter 14. <clears throat> should be up on the screens if you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you. Book of Mark chapter 14, it says, While he, talking about Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke and poured out the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Wouldn't you think the same thing if you saw this? 
Like if you saw someone pour out a year's wages on another person, wouldn't you think to yourself this same exact thing? Think of the, I, I looked it up. So the, the median household income in the United States of America is $51,000 a year. So this is someone pouring out $51,000. This is her savings account. Right? You don't go to the, you, in this society, you don't go to the bank. You save up something very, very valuable as a way to save for the future. She's basically draining her retirement account to anoint Jesus. And of course, people are sitting there like, what are you doing? You could have given that money to the poor. And then Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could, pouring perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my body for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then this next couple verses is fascinating. This story happens in all four gospels, and the same thing happens in all four. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Like, think about what's happening here. This is Judas's breaking point. This is the point where Judas is like, you are crazy. What are you doing? Like $50,000 was just poured out, and you're not, you're not speaking against that? You're not rebuking that? And the disciples, all of them are thinking, because it says it in the other versions of the Gospels, they're thinking, what are you doing Right? You could have sold this money and given it to the poor. You see, it's a tension of what is righteous anger and what is unrighteous anger. Because Jesus is trying to tell them, like, you think that's righteous anger, but it's not. This, in this moment, is unrighteous anger. And so that's really the, the, the tension that I want us to step in today. Because uh, on the front end, anger uh, is not a, an emotion in and of itself. It is not sinful, right? But it can become sinful. But what is that moment where it sort of becomes sinful? Uh, And the other part of it is really, it's just dealing with the tension of righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Um, And so we've been in this series, we're sort of nearing the very end. And really what we've been talking about every week is this, the idea is uh, we're, the series we're calling Deadly, because these seven deadly sins, these are, these are things that occur inside of us every single day, and they're deadly to us. They destroy us. They destroy the world around us when we live these ways. But the, but the thing that we have to realize is uh, we do these things every single day, and it is this tension. But what, where is Jesus pointing us? Where, where is he taking us to? Uh, and so... Some of the ones that we've talked about today, I think it's going to be helpful for this conversation about wrath, is week one we talked about gluttony, right? Which really is a distortion of food. And the thing that we talked about, how, what Jesus is pointing us towards in our life is finding balance. Finding that healthy balance in our life because consuming food isn't sinful, Going to a wedding and sharing in a feast is not a bad thing, but when we do it all the time, uh, that's when things can sort of fall into gluttony. Uh, And then week two, we talked about 
pride, which is a distortion of our love of self, which is not, an, which is not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, and the virtue that, we're calling, that Jesus is calling us to pursue is vulnerability. Right? And so when we talk about wrath, right? Wrath, what is wrath a distortion of? And when you really truly think about it, wrath, it's a distortion of justice. Because we all want justice. When an injustice happens, when we see an injustice in the world, when an injustice happens to us, we want justice. But the tension that we always have to ask ourselves about that when we want justice is, is that righteous or is that unrighteous? Because what may be justice to us may be an injustice to someone else. And so we have to sort of like, we have to live in this tension of how do we, how do we realize that we're always going to distort justice in our own favor? That we're always going to live our lives in a way where we want uh, justice to be towards us. So we're always going to distort it a little bit. And I think if that's our starting place, uh, that's going to be a really, really healthy starting place. Is just on the front end admitting to ourselves that a lot of times in our life and the way we live our lives, the way we operate lives, is that we distort justice uh, towards us. So this happens in, in the scriptures uh, it's found in the book of Luke. Uh, and Jesus is he's sharing a meal with some Pharisees. And he challenges them on something. He challenges them on a justice that they've distorted for themselves, but it oppressed someone else. So we find it in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prom- prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They remained silent because Jesus kind of has a history of going off on Pharisees. (laughs) Just read through all four Gospels. Do it this week. It's not going to take you that long. And count the number of times he goes off on the overly overly religious in his society. It happens all the time. Right? So I think they kind of remain silent because they, they do. Like, I don't want Jesus to, like, snap on me. Um, so they remain silent. But their silence says everything because in their day and age, their society, they would say, no, you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. And so internally, there's really what we have to realize is they're saying no. It's not that they don't know the answer to it. Like, this is a prominent Pharisee. He has an answer to this question. They're just refusing to answer in this moment. Then Jesus, taking hold of the man, healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If any one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Because Jesus, what he's trying to communicate to them here is, I know you think the answer is no to this, uh, but the answer isn't no. Because the whole idea of Sabbath is to give rest. Right? The whole idea of Sabbath is that one day a week, we just take time to enjoy our life and we say thank you to God. But this man who is suffering, who has this abnormal swelling, has never had a day of rest since his 
uh, sickness hit. And so really the question that Jesus is asking the Pharisees in this moment is, can I give this man Sabbath? Can I give this man rest? Right? And they would have said no. And then Jesus, what he says to them is, don't you realize, like if you have an ox or a child that falls into a hole, you're going to pull them out. So like if you would do that for an ox, why aren't you doing that for another human being? And so this is one of those things where the Pharisees think that they're, they have this righteous anger that says, no, we need to follow the Sabbath to the letter of the law, and we can't uh, because they've added to the law where they said all these things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. But they don't know truly what Sabbath is about, and Jesus is teaching them what Sabbath is about. So this tension of righteous anger versus unrighteous anger What we have to realize is that righteous anger always teaches. Righteous anger always teaches. Unrighteous anger vents. Right? Have you ever been in that place where you're just angry and you're just venting? Uh, Those are the times where you're probably falling into unrighteous anger. But the times uh, that we use uh, our frustration or our anger to teach... Uh, that's, a, that's a good compass for us to guide us, to say, no, I'm living a healthy, uh, healthy, righteous anger in this moment. And really, what we have to ask ourselves is, where do we fall in line with the Pharisees? Where are we distorting justice in our lives? And I know that's kind of, kind of a difficult thing for us to, to think about, just the idea of, do we distort justice? But what are those things that make you mad? And why do they make you mad? Is it about making your life easier? Is it about making your life better? Or is it serving someone else in that moment? And where in your life do you think, I am 100% right about this? (laughs) And someone else says, you are 100% wrong? but you are still stubbornly saying, I am 100% right. And I think if we ask ourselves the question, where am I distorting justice in my life? Uh, It'll help create this humility in us where we can actually uh, move forward to something healthy. So then the story actually goes on. Uh, The story goes on, and then it says, "One, one of them at the table with Jesus said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Which is kind of funny because it sort of comes out of the blue. It's kind of like in Sunday school when the teacher asks a question and the class is just like, Jesus, the answer is Jesus. Because <laughs> if you don't know the answer, you just say Jesus and nine times out of ten, that's the answer. Uh, so that's this guy sitting there. Blessed is the feast, uh, those who get to feast uh, in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus answers this man. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married so I can't come. Which is kind of an awesome excuse, right? Uh, That's a faithful husband, right? Come on. Uh, The servant came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Right? Which if actually go to the beginning of Luke, these are the exact people who Jesus said he came to preach the good news to. Uh, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has not been done, but there has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Right? So this story on the front end could potentially look a little bit harsh. But what we have to realize is that Jesus in this moment, what he's telling the Pharisees is, you study the law. You know the law better than anyone else in this society. And if you can't answer the question, can I give this man Sabbath? Can I give this man rest? If you can't answer that question, then that attitude, that way of thinking has no place in the kingdom of God. And even when you look at this story, right? The guy who says, uh, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Right? You're not going to buy a field without seeing it. And then the guy who says, oh, I've just bought oxen and I need to go try them out. You're not going to buy oxen without first trying them out. And then the guy says, I got married, so I can't come. You're not going to get married until, well, I guess that analogy doesn't work too well in that one. Right? But what we have to realize is all, all three of these people, they're making excuses. Excuses that don't really fit. And so what Jesus is telling these Pharisees is, look, you think that you're in like you think that you're a part of this, but this, this attitude that you have has no place in my kingdom. And what we also have to realize is when Jesus uses that terminology, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, majority of the time he's talking about the rule and reign of God that we can see here and now on this earth. Right? Jesus does talk about heaven uh, in the afterlife, but in this moment what he's talking about is he's talking about the here and now, Right? That the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God brings rest. The kingdom of God brings Sabbath. And Jesus, in his righteous anger, is trying to teach the Pharisees what God is like. And what God's kingdom would be like and could be like on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we have to realize is, if righteous anger, right... I'm running out of board space. So if righteous anger, it teaches, right? Where unrighteous anger just vents. Uh, righteous anger sets people free. And unrighteous anger, uh, it, what did I say? I forgot what I said. Yeah, controls. Right, unrighteous anger controls. And so Jesus in this moment is he's trying to teach them because righteous anger, it always sets people free. Always sets people free. And I know the tension for us can be like, well, what about when the Bible talks about the wrath of God? What about those moments when it talks about God's anger or God's wrath? How do I deal with that tension? How do I deal with that? Um, I, 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 so... Has anyone ever gone whitewater rafting before? Right? So when you go whitewater rafting, when you, it, it, they teach you 
They say, if you fall in in the rapids, what are you supposed to do? Does anyone know? Go with it. Yeah. They say, if you fall in the water, just go with it. Don't try to climb back in the boat. Don't try to, don't try to swim to shore. You literally just point your feet forward, keep your feet up, and go with it. Because if you don't, you're going to drown. If you try to swim, you're going to drown. If you don't go feet first, you're going to hit your head, and you're going to drown. So what we have to realize that the wrath of God is actually the thing that we need to pursue. Right? I feel like I should have switched righteous anger and unrighteous anger because that kind of doesn't make sense for what we're trying to move towards. Right? So I'm going to say un. I'm going to say righteous. Right? Because what we have to realize is what Jesus is calling us to move towards is grace. Because what we realize is actually the wrath of God is also the grace of God. And I know that doesn't always make sense to us, but if we look at this as like the river, okay? And then the river is flowing this way. And they say, if you fall in the river, you need to go with it, right? So if the grace of God is like a river, it's like rapids, it's powerful, it's dangerous. It's one of those things that you need, that, that, that when you come against it, right? When you try to go against this, this grace, this love, Paul says in the book of Timothy that God is love. It's who he is. When Jesus came saying, I'm God in the flesh, like he, he, he pursues self-sacrifice for us on the cross, right? So God is the perfect representation of love, the perfect representation of grace. So when you come against perfect love and perfect grace, it's dangerous, right? That's when wrath is a natural consequence for when we live a life outside of love. I love what Brian's on, how he sort of describes it. He says, the wrath of God is divine consent of our own self-destructive will. Because God has given us freedom. He's given us freedom to live in his grace, to live in his love. But our tendency is to go against that love, go against that grace. And God allows that to happen. He allows us to go against him. He allows us to go against what he wants for the world. He allows us to make decisions that are deadly to us. He allows people to make decisions that are deadly to the world that we live in. And God in his love has given us that free will. He's given us those choices. But God's love and grace is a river. It's a powerful river. And maybe you feel today like you're drowning. Maybe today you feel like your anger, your pride, your vanity, uh, your judgmentalism. Maybe you feel like those things are destroying you. Those things are killing you because they are. Because that's the story we all find ourselves in. Where we just feel like we're drowning. And it's because we are. And so I wonder for you today, like where in your life do you need to submit to the love and grace of Jesus? As you move away from wrath, uh, that you move towards teaching and setting others free that you move towards grace, uh, what does that look like? And maybe for you what that looks like is actually forgiving someone else 
for the things that they've done to you. I love what Anne Lamott says. She says, uh, forgive, uh, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison, hoping for the rat to die. Right? Who in your life are you looking at saying, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm not going to forgive you? That attitude is destroying you inside because you're angry at them. Right? Me and Nicole, we had a foster kid in our house uh, for quite a period of time, and I'll never forget, on the way home, he asked me the question. He said, I think it was on the way home from Mosaic, from Mosaic Kids. They were talking about forgiveness, and he said, do I need to forgive everyone? And if there was one person that deserved not to forgive someone, it was him. If there's someone who deserved to be angry because injustices had happened to him, it was him. So for him to ask that question, like he meant it. Like, do I need to forgive everyone? Do I need to forgive all that junk that happened in my life? Do I need to forgive those people? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. And I told him, I said, look, forgiveness is about uh, the way you feel inside, right? Forgiveness isn't just for them. It's for you. Because when we choose to be angry at people, when we choose to vent and we choose to just be wrathful and choose to keep that hatred inside and not forgive, it's poisoning us. But we think that it's hurting them. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets them free. And so I wonder in your life, who do you need to set free? And do you need to be set free? Right? And so this is the beauty of Christ on the cross. So every time we read scriptures, we need to, we need to look at it through the lens of Jesus, God in the flesh, sacrificing his life on the cross. Right? That the ultimate love and grace of God is just consistently poured out. And maybe today is the day that you say, man, I want to say yes to love. I want to say yes to grace. And I need forgiveness. And I need to forgive today. And so would you guys close your eyes and would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I pray today that you will speak in a very powerful way to every single one of us in this room. That every single one of us are holding anger inside, bitterness inside, towards ourselves, towards others, that friend who wronged us, our parents who abandoned us. We all carry this anger and God, I pray today that we will be set free. I pray today that as we clench our fists tight and we say, no, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive. You don't know what that person did to me. I pray that we will just release. Release that wrath from inside of us. And that somehow we can show them grace. Because Jesus, God, even though we sin against you every single day, when we say, God, forgive me, I repent, you forgive always. And so today, Jesus, I pray that every single one of us in this room will seek your forgiveness today. That we are constantly turning around and going against the river of your love. We are living outside of love. And it's killing us. It's drowning us. And I pray that you will just release us as we say, Jesus, we repent and we turn away.
because you died on the cross so that we could have your spirit living in us. And Jesus, we can continue the life that you lived 2,000 years ago. So Jesus, we give you our all, we give you our lives, we give you our present and our future as you forgive our past. And actually, as you forgive every future thing that we will ever do, you don't even hold those things against us. Let us float in your grace and in your love, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we sing this last song, I really, as we look towards, in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism gathering. And I wonder if today, that's, this is a time where you need to make that decision that says, Jesus, I want to go all in. Jesus, I, I, I want to swim in your grace. And what that means is that it's a water grave. We die to ourselves so that Jesus can live in us. And it's a public proclamation of that internal thing that's happening. And so if that's happening in you today, if that's happening in your life for a while, uh, we would love for you to be baptized in two weeks. Um, You can come talk to me after the gathering. You can talk to someone at the Connect table. You can send us an email. Um, But yeah, we would just love to know what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your lives. Uh, And so let's end today and celebrate. So would you stand with me and we celebrate that no matter what we do, Jesus will always show us grace. And may we somehow try to do that same thing. May we somehow figure out a way that every time we are wrong to extend grace. Instead of venting, teaching. Instead of controlling, let's set people free. So let's sing together, would you, Mosaic?